listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast by Dr. T. Michael W. Halcom, Dr. Frederick J. Long, Dr. Mario Melendez, Dr. Jennifer Noonan, and J. M. Smith. Welcome and enjoy. Hello, I'm Professor Fred Long, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Greek Matters. Today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, and this has come by way of an urgent request. Someone wants to look at these verses and feels that the Greek has particular power in conveying what it does. And so these verses in Ephesians are actually the conclusion. In ancient rhetoric, this part of a discourse would be called uh, the epilogue, or in Latin, the uh, peroratio, the conclusion. And one one piece of evidence for this comes in the fact that you have two lipu. Two lipu is in the genitive. The word there literally means the rest. Sometimes this can occur in the accusative, sometimes in the genitive, and here it's in the genitive. And here's just a little uh, note from uh, the word pictures by the great grammarian A.T. Robertson. So at the bottom um, here, bottom right, he says the genitive case in respect of the rest. And so the genitive is a case of description and modification in, in, in the terms of describing and relationships. And um, as opposed to the accusative case, which which does occur in other places, as for the rest. So there's a difference between the genitive in respect of the rest versus the accusative as for the rest. With the accusative, you're, the accusative is a case of extension, and it's used of, of the direct object. And I think it would be adding more information, like as for the rest, extending this on further, as opposed to the genitive, which we could be saying is drawing a, a description, adding further description of, of, of what has come before. So as in respect of the rest, let me, let me sum it up this way. So in 610 through 20, we're looking at the formal conclusion of the discourse and, um, it's pretty dramatic how Paul uh, concludes. Now, we're going to see the, the Greek text is color-coded here, and there's a corresponding Greek, uh, the, the color corresponding color coding is found in this English, which to the right is, is using NESB translation. Now, the red indicates non-indicative moods. Uh, these, are, these are verbs of command or infinitives, and we'll look at them. And when, particularly when you're looking at non-indicative mood verbs, that is, uh, the, the indicative mood verb are, are, are making statements of, of general fact, uh, past tense, present tense, future tense. But when you get outside of the indicative mood, you're, you're looking at uh, volition, command, wishing, and possibilities and these kinds of things. And when you leave the indicative mood and looking at these other moods, you need to pay particular attention to the tense of the verb because basically Greek will have three choices. 
not, you know, Greek has six or seven different tenses, but when it comes to the non-indicative moods, you really have two main choices and sometimes a third. And so what, what tense is chosen carries significance. And the main two options are between the present tense or the aorist tense. And the present tense conveys an, the imperfective, imperfective aspect, which is one of openness, which can convey, convey ongoingness, whereas the aorist tense is viewing the action as a whole without regard to any particulars. It doesn't mean that the event couldn't be taking place repeatedly, but the author has chosen not to convey it that way, but rather to convey it by using um, perfective aspects. So uh, with non-indicative verbs, you have mainly two choices, imperfective aspect, which is represented by present tense, or perfective aspect, which is represented by um, the aorist tense. And we're going to see that Paul uses both here um, in, in rather interesting ways. So first of all, he issues this command, be strong, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, uh, this is a present tense, so it's it's conveying the need for this to continually to be happening. And it's also in the passive voice or possibly uh, a middle. And this would suggest that the, the subject is being affected by this action. So either the subject is particularly involved in the action in a way that it, it, it affects the subjects, or the subject, if it's passive, is being acted upon. Now here, since it's a command form, it's kind of hard for the subject uh, you know, to be commanded to be passive. I don't think Paul is saying, hey, don't do anything, but just be in this position of being acted upon. I don't think that's Paul's intent here. So there is some subject involvement here, some agency of the subject. So to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So in the Lord and in the power of his might, these are prepositional phrases that are describing the location of the empowerment. So notice that this verb is it's from en, endumao, endunamao. It has it has the preposition n on the front, and so this is talking about an interior kind of strengthening, and the source of that strengthening is then clarified by these prepositional phrases which begin with n. So be being strong. It's it's an ongoingness. So be strong. Be being strong. And the location, the source of that strength is in the Lord and in the power of his strength. And so you have a piling up of words for strength also in the power of his strength. So there's some stress here on this, this strength. And, and one thing that I, I also, we also can notice is that you have three different roots, kratos, Eskus, these are words for strength, and then the verb has another root from dunam, dunamis or dunamao, 
so Paul is combining three different Greek words that profile different aspects of being strong, powerfully strong, innately strong, and, and strong. So this verse really is about remaining and being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Okay, so this is a command that Paul is concluding the book of Ephesians with. Now, this is something that's available to us. Like We are commanded to be this way. So we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And the question is, how do we do that? Well, verse this is where verse 11 is very important because it um, it's connected with no conjunction. There's often in Greek you have you have conjunctions that are connecting one sentence to the next, but we don't have that here. And so uh, this is called a syndeton. So a syndeton is where there's no con no con conjunction or connector, and that raises the question: Well, what is the relationship between verse ten and eleven? And I would suggest that it is a relationship of general, a general statement moving to particular statements. And so in verse 11, then, we're getting the particulars of how we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In other words, verse 11 is giving us the specifics of how we do that, to put on the full armor of God. Now, this is another command form, except this time it's the aorist tense, which is conveying perfective aspect. And so what it's doing is describing the, the event as a whole. While, in fact, we could imagine that the process of putting on the armor could take some time, Paul is not viewing it from that perspective. He is viewing it as, as a complete or a completed reality, as something that we can experience, something that we, we do. And, and not, he's not describing it as something that we repeatedly do. It's almost like something that we put on and we keep wearing. We need to keep wearing this armor of God. And it's not something that we put on and off. And this, uh, there's an implication there that we're constantly in a struggle. There's constantly a battle and a war going on. And so we always need to have this armor on. And so wear or put on the full armor of God. And here the pano pleon, uh, is a, is a, is the noun here for the armor. And it's got this little adjectival, um, addition on the front. Uh, which means complete. It's from the Greek adjective all. So this is a complete equipment. It's a, it's in a, a complete armor. And it's the equipment of a heavy armored soldier. And moreover, this armor is described as being of God. This is God's armor. And, um, as, if we were to continue looking at these pieces of armor, we will see that Paul when he does begin to describe this armor, that it's actually messianic armor. Paul is quoting from Isaiah. And these pieces of armor are actually tried and true armor that the Messiah has worn, that the Messiah Jesus has worn. So this is Messiah that 
God supplies, it's God, it's God equipped, it's God endorsed, it's God tried and true, and it's 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 been worn by the Messiah Jesus, so to speak. In other words, this is this is messianic armor that a human has already used in living in this world. And so, you know, Jesus says, Come follow me. And and if we want to be in this world like he was in this world, then we would best uh, wear the armor that he himself has worn. Now, obviously, this is a metaphor. This is a metaphor for um, fully availing ourselves to what God supplies. And so Paul, in some ways, is saying our lives in this world is, is, is likened to a warfare. So Christian living is like a warfare. And so he's mapping a certain aspect of warfare, namely a soldier's readiness and preparedness for the struggle. He's mapping that over uh, how we live in this world. And so um, as he will explain, there are different aspects of what this armor entails in terms of salvation and the word of God being the sword breastplate of righteousness and these kinds of things. And so that would be a whole nother video to talk about these aspects of armor, which is very exciting. But we're to put on this full armor and this armor is God's armor. And and then we're also told the purpose. Why? In order that we would be able, in order that you would be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay, so this is a purpose statement. This is this is the goal. This is why we wear the armor. So wearing the armor has a purpose. It's it's the means by which we achieve this purpose, and this purpose is to be able to stand. Now, um, here's an infinitive. This is the verb to be able to to be empowered or to be able, and it's present tense. So once again, there is this imperfective aspect that this is a an ability a need to be able to be able like it's it's a continuous enablement and it's a continuous enablement to then stand and standing you're standing against in the face of or standing with in terms of going toe to toe with the schemes of the devil so this armor serves the purpose of enabling us to stand against, stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with. And this preposition pros is directional, but it, it also signals a closeness because we're going to come into contact with the schemes of the devil. Now, um, this word scheming is, is, is really interesting because it comes over into English quite well in terms of methods. Methodias. And we need to be careful against, you know, like a an illegitimate transfer, you know, from one language to another. Like our word method may not capture what's entailed in this Greek word. Um, but it's not all that far removed from it though either. So scheming, craftiness, and the plural stratagems and and wiles. So basically, we're looking at a plural word here that deals with like scheming and and strategies it's multifaceted it's intentional 
And behind these methods are is the devil, the diabolu. So the devil um, is is a is one who slanders, who attacks, who is an adversary. And I think one way that he does attack us is, is through doubt, fear, slandering us. But he's not limited to that to that kind of activity, although that's a very effective way. Basically, what this means, though, is that the devil has strategies. He has purposes behind what he's doing. Now, we need to be careful here to think that, you know, wow, is the devil coming against me personally? Well, no, the devil is, is, is only one entity. And I believe he's chained up actually right now. But he's like a mob boss, as one of my friends, Michael Halcom, has suggested, working working through many minions in, in many different ways. And so he he does have purposes and schemes that come against us. And so we need to be wearing this armor of God to resist, to be able to continually be able to, present tense, imperfective aspect, to resist these schemes. And so the, the, the armor of God is perfectly suited for this purpose. We're well equipped. We have God's armor. We can resist then the schemes of the devil. And this word, I should just say, uh, occurs only elsewhere earlier in the letter. And it occurs in the context of, of uh, four, chapter 4, verse 14, where just after Paul describes the purpose of the church and the gifted leaders, these gifted leaders are to help the saints to be prepared and to grow, verses 4.12. And then we're, we, there's this beautiful description of growing into Christ-likeness and, and following after his maturity. The alternative to that growth goal, the alternative is rather to remain infantile in order that we would no longer be children tossed here and there by every wave of, of human teaching by the trickery of people, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. So the, the scheming of deceit. So there is that word methodion, methodia once again, and it's associated with deceit and scheming. And certainly that is how the devil works. And I would just say that here in chapter 414, that the method is through human teaching human teaching that is deceitful and, and meant to beguile and trick us. And I would say, basically, everybody, that this is the context in which we find ourselves, that there is a lot of, of deceitfulness happening. It happens in our political systems. It happens in our the marketing, the consumerism, the different isms that subtly affect us and affect our value system and really attack our souls and, and tell us lies about who we are, about what is real, about what is important. And so this is these are the ways, these are some of the methods of the evil one, the devil, working against our souls. And so uh, just to come back to our verse here in 6.11, that we have available to us the full armor of God and we are to wear that armor, just put it on simple, complete act, put it on, and this is the means by which we're able to continue to stand against 
all the variety of, of the methods, the schemes of the evil one. Well, I hope you might find this encouraging. Uh, God is on our side. We have his full strength available to us. We just need to put that armor on and to be strong. This is how we're strong in the Lord. All right. Well, until next time, take care and be strong in the Lord. Interested in growing your ancient language skills but not sure where to start? Glow's House can help. From illustrated readers and short stories to lexicons and grammars, Glosa House offers a variety of resources for beginning, intermediate, and experienced ancient language learners. Head to glosahouse.com today. Glosa House, language resources for the global community.